On occasion, I have been overheard referring to physicians as RVU generating machines. Typically, this comment is made in the setting of a discussion about maximizing the reimbursement potential in a practice. It is unfair. Obviously, I am glossing over the necessary skills in terms of diagnosis, thought, communication, you know, all those things that make up the total package and make clinical care so difficult and rewarding. However, the concept of being an RVU machine simply reflects the common reimbursement methodology in place today, that is, the fee-for-service healthcare environment. But if CMS has its way, we're about to enter a sort of wild west of healthcare reimbursement. As many of you know, CMS has made it very clear they are interested in transitioning the payment methodology from mostly fee-for-service to mostly quality-based reimbursement. On the surface, this may not be particularly intimidating or concerning. After all, we have lived through the last 10 years with an increasing number of programs attempting to shape the delivery of healthcare, such as Meaningful Use, PQRS, and recently the value-based modifier. But all of these programs, all of the programs today impact a very small portion of our total practice revenue, typically no more than four to six percent when added together, and in general, were relatively easy to participate in, especially PQRS and Meaningful Use. The next few years, barring any major changes to the CMS timeline and plans, appear to be very, very different. Under the newly renamed QPP, that is Quality Payment Program, CMS is instituting a variety of pathways that look like iterations of meaningful use, PQRS and the value-based modifier, but I think and I would argue that they are substantively very different. The first major difference is the fact that the percentage of fee-for-service dollars at risk starts at 4% and rapidly ramps up under 9% under some of the pathways. And if you're participating in things like an alternative payment model, can incorporate a much larger percentage of your fee-for-service dollars. The second major difference is the scoring methodology. Up to this point, most of the programs that CMS has held providers accountable for largely have been based on absolute scoring. Put another way, participating in PQRS or meaningful use basically meant you were submitting data and got credit for that data submission with very little payment adjustment riding on your actual performance on the measures. Under the quality payment programs starting in 2018, your payment adjustment is not only dependent on how well you perform on a given measure, but actually how well other people have performed on that measure in previous years. Specifically, many of the programs under QPP use data collected from across the entire program in previous years as the foundation for scoring the current year. It's basically grading on a curve, and the curve is based on last year's answers. The third major difference is the fact that practitioners will have to choose amongst a variety of performance measures. Though this adds flexibility, and this flexibility is in response to years of complaints regarding the one-size-fits-all approach to the quality payment programs marking meaningful use in PQRS, there is still new complexity added because of this. That is, practitioners and practices attempting to participate in the quality payment programs will have so many options and will have so many measures that they can choose from, it's actually going to require time and energy thinking through what they can do to best demonstrate their performance through choosing the correct measures. Ultimately, 
all of these major differences yield increasing complexity and the need for a more active management program, typically at the practice and provider level. What this means is, in addition to the typical day-to-day -day activities that it takes to coordinate and deliver healthcare within a practice, new roles and jobs are going to have to be incorporated. A non-comprehensive list of these jobs could include things such as the identification and selection of new metrics, adjustments to the workflow to allow for the data needed to be collected, as well as ongoing monitoring of data integrity, and ultimately the necessary performance improvement activities that demonstrate high quality care. To say the least, these activities represent a significant change in the day-to-day -day workflows and priorities of a practice. To be sure, there will be many who look at the opportunity cost. At what level of potential bonus or penalty does the necessary changes start to seem like a good value for the time and money you have to invest? Moreover, whatever time and money is invested must be viewed on a prolonged timeline. That is, the return on investment to any of these CMS quality payment programs typically is two to four years. Remember, payment adjustments only happens two years after the reporting period. Many of these changes are unsettling. The typical practice does not routinely conduct these kinds of activities. And CMS, while clearly making what the end goal of all this is, does not have a role in providing the specific steps necessary for practice transformation or practice adaptation, all the things necessary it takes to participate. As I said before, it's kind of like the Wild West. In light of all this change, new roles and jobs will emerge that become critical to the success of participation. Over the last few years, as the descriptions of these programs have been fleshed out and it's clear what CMS is intending to do, it has become increasingly apparent that the typical practice will require far more than another medical assistant or registered nurse helping run the practice data management systems. In fact, as the data and workflow needs become increasingly complex, I suspect we're going to need a whole new class of employee in the typical medical practice. This employee will be a little bit like a cowboy hero coming to rescue the practice in the midst of the chaos that all this change is bringing. I have referred to this person as a data wrangler. And while that captures a large portion of what they do, it's important to remember that this person probably occupies a number of roles and is more than just a wrangler that is rounding up data, but also part sheriff and part IT geek. Today, I'm going to talk a little bit more in detail about the Data Wrangler and what their role can be in your practice. When I first started using the term Data Wrangler, I thought I had made it up. However, the all-knowing Google informed me in preparation for this podcast that the term Data Wrangler was actually used in association with some digital archiving projects at the Library of Congress. Either way, and for our purposes, this term seemed to capture a number of the functions needed for participation in the quality payment programs. Up to this point in the history of medical practices, there's been no one person occupying the role of data specialist. To be sure, most practices have someone they turn to to fix the computers, install the latest operating system, and remove viruses when the front desk folks have been playing around on the internet. But what's been missing, especially at smaller and medium-sized practices, is someone who truly understands how data is captured in a medical practice environment, and then combines that knowledge with a deeper understanding of the electronic health record system, the practice management system, and other analytics or data reporting software. On the surface, it may seem like this person simply is going to write reports and give feedback to physicians on how their data appears, but a good data wrangler is going to offer a wide range of skills that integrate 
extremely well into the medical office environment, especially one that's trying to participate in quality payment programs. In the last few months, I've had a number of conversations about this position and what kinds of things that person might do. One practice I'm aware of has actually already hired one. What I think we all agree on in these conversations is that the Data Wrangler are relatively new college graduates and typically have some background in IT systems, but also need some understanding of the healthcare environment and should have had some exposure to medical practice. I want to talk specifically about what the job description for this data wrangler might look like, but I think it's important to make some comments about the vocabulary I need to use to do so. When I say discrete data element or data elements, I mean a single piece of information such as someone's gender or an ICD-10 code describing an illness. Those discrete data elements are often put into a data field or a discrete data field, and that is typically referring to a location or area with an electronic health record or other software that stores a data element. You have seen these as a box labeled respiratory in which a clinician enters some physical exam finding related to the lungs or a similar kind of area in an electronic health record system. When I say workflow, I mean the various steps employed to deliver care, which can be broken down into things like thought maps or other flow charts. These steps could include any aspect of the interaction between a medical practice and a patient, from a phone call reminding a patient of an appointment to the moment where the receptionist is handing a receipt for the copayment and the patient walks out the door. I know performance improvement is well understood in the circles of nephrology, but for this discussion, I'm referring specifically to the kinds of improvement plans that allow practices to take data pulled from your electronic health record or other analytics software, and then implement a change in workflow to demonstrate improvements as measured by the metrics to which you're holding yourself accountable. The role of the data wrangler overlaps between technical and administrative functions. I think it's worth enumerating these roles in a job description-like discussion. The data wrangler should be working with practice leadership to identify the appropriate metrics and the data elements needed to populate those metrics that ultimately require the least amount of change in practice workflow. This puts the data wrangler at a key point in the decision-making process of what the practice should be doing to demonstrate quality in the context of both what the practice needs to accomplish as well as what the practice can accomplish based on its current capabilities. The data wrangler will then identify any new discrete data elements that are needed for the chosen metrics. The data wrangler will work with our EHR vendor to identify the best places or data fields in which to capture any of the needed data elements feeding the new metrics. Obviously, then, the data wrangler will have to work with practice leadership to evolve and update the workflows to support capturing new data elements and then work with clinical leadership to identify the expected range of valid answers for each of these data elements. Periodically, the data wrangler will need to validate the data elements being collected and ensure that any variation in that data is explainable and appropriate. I also envision the data wrangler developing and implementing the necessary routine monitoring at the clinician level of the metric performance so that both internal trending against the group of physicians participating at the practice level as well as any external published benchmarks for those metrics. Again, the idea here is to give practices the ability to 
alter workflows and clinician behavior prior to submitting data to whatever body, CMS or some other third-party payer, is looking at these metrics. Ultimately, the data wrangler is going to have to work with human resources to develop appropriate action plans for staff and clinicians that do not appropriately participate with practices data capture needs. More broadly, as the metrics become more difficult year to year and the benchmarks change, the data wrangler is going to have to work with practice leadership to review the metrics the practice is collecting data for and determine whether those are still appropriate for the practice's quality reporting needs. There's a series of IT housekeeping functions that the data wrangler will play a key role in as well, including developing and maintaining the necessary documentation such that practice leadership understand which data elements are being captured, their sources, and the expected range of answers that they would see when reviewing reports from these sources. I think the data wrangler is also going to have to work closely with EHR and other IT vendors to understand and adapt the practice workflows as other upgrades, changes, and IT-related events take place. Two final functions that I think the data wrangler would serve well as is working with billing and the management team to integrate clinical performance monitoring with billing data, case mix, insurance types, etc. Lastly, as the practice will evolve its need to demonstrate this clinical performance to agencies beyond just CMS, such as insurance companies, contract negotiations with clinically integrated networks, or other entities who are looking to partner with practices, the data wrangler can play a key role in negotiations and interpreting the practice's data for these discussions. I put together a brief job description which will be available via the RPA website or you can email me directly for at ajwein at gmail.com. I would be happy to share this with you. It's a PDF file. I think it is worth making two final points about the data wrangler. The person who occupies the role of the data wrangler is going to require a close working relationship with both clinical and administrative leadership within the practice. This person is developing and implementing the tactics that flow directly from strategies decided upon by practice leadership. This means that beyond simply having a data wrangler, a practice that employs one is committing to embark on a path that involves active participation of the practice in quality payment programs. Going forward and under programs like MACRA, this requires work that spans an entire year and doesn't really end, but rather evolves year to year as the practice chooses different metrics and makes strategic decisions about the kinds of data it can and should be collecting. The second point is how much the role of the data wrangler involves shaping human behavior. For those of you that have heard me speak, I feel pretty strongly that participation in quality payment reporting programs ultimately comes down to human resources. For the foreseeable future, the success or failure of participation depends heavily on clinicians willingly participating by putting the right data in the right places and then, when given feedback, actively making a choice to change their behavior. Unfortunately, this often requires both incentives and penalties. As such, the data wrangler is going to be in a very unique position within a practice as they're going to be probably the first line of employee identifying both best practices and poor participation for the clinicians who are collecting this data. Today, I've described to you what I think is a somewhat unique and evolving role for medical practices, but one that's going to occupy a critical point 
for those practices wishing to participate in quality improvement programs. My suspicion is that beyond the college student with a degree in information systems and some exposure to clinical medicine, we're also going to find a new group of nurses, that is RNs, who have gone back for degrees in nursing informatics who are able to straddle both clinical care and information systems. No matter who you end up employing as your data wrangler, I strongly suspect that the local high school kid who we've been using to upgrade Windows or install the latest antivirus software is just not going to suffice. Fortunately, this person will also likely be employed since someone will always need to reinstall our printer drivers. Thank you for your time and attention today. Feel free to contact me at ajwein at gmail.com with any questions or comments and check back to the RPA website for further podcasts. Thank you for listening to the RPA podcast. This is only one of the topics addressed in greater detail in RPA's Renal Physician's Guide to Nephrology Practice. For more information on this and other topics that will help you with efficiently managing your nephrology practice, download a copy of the RPA Guide from the RPA Store at www.renalmd.org. Contact the RPA office at 301-468-3515 with any questions.